What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another edition of Elevate Your Grind, brought to you by the Cannabis Lab. I am your host, Todd Rosales, and it is so great to be back here sitting in this seat and going into this show. You guys know how much I love to do this show. You know how much I miss it. And unfortunately, I've not been as consistent as I want to be. I've been apologizing to you guys probably since my youngest daughter was born, and I'll continue to apologize to you guys. But I want to continue to bring the show as much as we can and as much as we have amazing guests. Um, I've been trying different things with the show, adding in ads and things like that, but I kind of missed just my little personal rants to the camera right at the beginning. So um, everything has been going well. I've got a phenomenal guest today. I want to shout out Matteo Communications because they do the best job at bringing me some of the most amazing guests on this show. Um, they are not a sponsor. They are just friends. And I want to continue to shout them out because without them, this show would not nearly have the audience that it does. Um, <clears throat> with that being said today, my guest today is a co-founder of a very respectable brand up in the great north and not Canada, a little south of that. But that's what I'm going to call it because I live in Florida. So to me, it is the great north. Um, <laughs> this gentleman has been on the receiving end of many, many sales emails from me back in a past life. Um, and he finally agreed to sit down with me now that I have nothing to sell him. But I, I digress here. So please welcome my guest today, the co-founder of Cloud Cannabis in the great state of Michigan, John McLeod. John, thank you for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Todd. And I appreciate the intro. And I tell you what, it's a beautiful 76 degrees in the great north today. So it couldn't be better. Oh, my. You know, it, it's definitely a place I need to get up to. I've got a lot of friends that are up there. I'm good friends with, um, I can't, Chris Clampkin of Butter. He's been trying to get us oh, up yeah. there for a very long time. And Michigan is just it's one of those places that I really feel that I need to get to. And I haven't been, there's so much history there. I, I'm a big fan of engines and you know, everything that everything internal combustion goes through Michigan at some point. So it's a place that I definitely need to get to. No question. It's motor city. And I was actually, uh, I was actually smoking one with Chris last week on the patio at a, a interchange event in just North of Lansing here in Michigan. And we were commenting how beautiful it is to be operators in the state of Michigan. You know, it, you guys are one of those states, and, and we'll get into you in a little bit here, but you guys are one of those states where it's, you're a proud people, right? There are a mm -hmm. lot of transient states, like California is definitely one of them. It's, it's transient, and then you can maybe buy into the California lifestyle, but not every there one believes in it. It's, it's a place like Michigan, and I put Texas in the same category, where no matter your political views, no matter where you fall on the spectrum, no matter what part of Michigan you're from, People from there just seem to be very proud of being there. And to me, that always resonates in, in how hardcore the college followings are. Like, you know, because a pro team is great and they play there ever. But the college followings, the people who if you lived in that state and you choose to stay in state to go to school, there's something proud about being from that state. Yeah, no question. I mean, and, you know, our version of the Yankees and the Mets is Michigan and Michigan State. So it certainly touches on, you know, the college pride and and you know the the local um environment in which you know there's a lot of competitiveness internally in michigan but i think what sets us apart is is really we bring a hustle to just everything we do and you know you talk about engines you know the factories the the line workers that really built you know the motors that literally started this country rolling back in the day as far as the hustle and everything else i mean the reason that detroit and in the surrounding areas were built up is because people moved out there for these great manufacturing jobs and these blue collar jobs and it was truly a resurgence in american manufacturing not even a resurgence it was the surgence in american manufacturing because there was no re at the time 
it's funny to, to not to cut you off and to jump into this, but early on in the show, we've done almost 200 episodes. There's a lot, a lot of me ranting about what this plant and, and we're going to get into your background because I want people to know who you are, but it seems we jumped right into the conversation, but what this plant can do economically and politically for this country. Right. And the tech boom has been great and it, and it's established and, and, and solidified America as a superpower. But at some point with the tech boom, you need to have an advanced form of thinking, advanced mathematics, advanced coding. There is a complicated methodology to be able to participate in that boom, especially at a high level. Now, that doesn't mean that you need to go to the best schools. There are plenty of people who can learn it on their own and learn it through trade schools. But it's not just like, and I don't mean to degrade this, but it's not a blue collar job where if you're wanting to put in the time and the effort, you can figure it out. You can learn how to trim plants. You can learn how to take care of them. And then there are manufacturing jobs. There are construction jobs around it. There are distribution jobs around it. And to me, it is almost like that second coming of the automotive boom where we're just getting people outside now. So instead of being in the factories and granted, I know there are a lot of good indoor grows, but you know what I mean? Like we're just taking the people that were used to this factory producing cars. And it's now an assembly line of producing plants. Yeah, absolutely. And and both of the cultivation and the processing, I mean, we really highlight that's manufacturing at its heart, you know, whatever the processes with the plants or with a post-processed product, it's manufacturing, right? So that takes a certain level of skill set. But again, it comes from the hustle. I mean, ultimately, uh, you know, Michigan kind of got a lot of their jobs by immigrants coming into the country, immigrants coming into Michigan to work in the auto plants. Well, that is kind of just ebbed and flows as immigration has gone in our country. And we've gotten this new influx of talent over these generations. And a lot of that talent just comes from the basic you know, the hustle to say it's not about a degree, you know, it's not about the Ivy League college, it's not about where you went to, you know, university on the East Coast. This is about what can you do with the 24 hours that's presented with you every single day? And can you do it with a pure heart? And can you do it with the right intentions? And I think that's what ends up lifting us up here. And, and it fills the roles with jobs. I mean, right in Michigan, there's more jobs in the legal cannabis industry. I, lo I love this. There's more jobs in the legal cannabis industry in Michigan right now than there are in law enforcement, EMS, and fire combined. So just that stat alone is just breathtaking because stands that industry of cannabis, legal cannabis, which is very robust in Michigan, what are all those people doing? Are all those people unemployed? Certainly they're all underemployed and not paid the wages that they are in the cannabis industry. So I think the jobs benefit to a state, a local economy is probably the biggest driver of the upside with the cannabis industry uh, across the board, not only in Michigan, but we're seeing it tenfold in Michigan. It, it's funny you say that. It, it, I feel like we're at a point in time, especially with the internet going into the pandemic and things where the message, and especially from guys like Gary Vee and a lot of the entrepreneurs and Shark Tank out there is to go, it, you know, I'm, I'm 36. My dad is, is 30 years older than me. And he has that mentality that I'm going to go to work. I'm going to support my family, whether I'm happy or not, I'm going to go there every day. And I, I can tell you, and you know, not to blow him up, but I can't, I don't think he's really enjoyed what he's done for a living for the past 40, 50 years. And I, right. I think there are a lot of people that are starting to get burnt out with that. And it's funny. I think there are a lot of people in conjunction that were very passionate about cannabis. So we have this new message going out there. Do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life. I think there are a lot of people out there who are like, 
I want to tell the world about weed. So what the, what the fuck else do I love? Like, I can't do that. It's illegal. And there are some people that were brave enough to go into that arena and operate in that arena. And there are a lot of us that weren't, and it was something that we wanted to do. And then all of a sudden the legal cannabis market comes and it's like, wait a second, I can yeah. finally do what I love. And it was just the perfect storm. And not only do we see the great resignation for people going and investing in themselves, but I see a great migration of high level prof professionals that are passionate about the plant coming over to this industry as well, too. Yeah, absolutely. And we've seen a lot of C-suite um, individuals leave whatever their traditional business were and come into the cannabis industry. And, you know, the interesting thing is a lot of them are coming with no cannabis experience or no no desire to even consume cannabis they're just coming with a passion for a new and emerging industry that's really just kind of on the front end of a, a global shift when it comes to prohibition with cannabis. So I think there's an appeal there. I think there's kind of like a ground floor appeal is like, hey, we're building this together. You know, we're we're building the plane as we fly it, so to speak. And I, I think there there's some appeal there. But I also think, you know, you talk about people that were in the market in the gray or black market. I mean, Michigan is really heavy on caregivers. You know, in 2008, we had a medical law, which essentially allowed for legal cannabis, medicinal use of legal cannabis that you could grow yourself or you could purchase from a caregiver, uh, but no retail format to actually, can you know, get your cannabis. So there was a good 10 years before the adult use framework came into place in Michigan, where you had, it was all about you know, caregivers that had been growing for decades, potentially, you know, in the black market, kind of sliding into a gray market. But ultimately, those are the people that really have built the groundwork for the cannabis industry in Michigan. And but for their experiences and um, expertise, uh, we wouldn't be where we're at. So, you know, we're very fortunate to have a very robust market that's full of both cannabis insiders and um, outsiders, but new new people to the industry right now. No, it's great. And I, I want to come back to the industry and especially the caregiver model, because you and I, you know, in a previous conversation had talked about, and the reason I keep looking to my right, it's because I'm producing the show as well. But, um, you know, you and I talked about the caregiver model. So I want to circle back there, but I want to kind of talk about your journey into cannabis, because that's one of the reasons why I started this podcast is I love hearing people's stories, especially people that are in your position now and how you got in here. And especially because you took a little bit more I can't even say non-traditional at this point because there is no fucking traditional route. And then I, I can't right. curse, I think, because it's my show. Um, <laughs> you know, it, you took a little bit more of a traditional route uh, or untraditional route, and I think everybody does. But I, I kind of want to add some context to it, right? So you were actually um, former law enforcement, and I think uh, I've, read, I've watched a, a bunch of the interviews that you've done, and I think this is really interesting about you, is the reason that you got into law enforcement, right? And, you know, you had a bad experience with a police officer and that led you to say, well, I'm going to be a police officer because I don't like that. I don't want other people to deal with that. I don't want other people to experience that. So, you know, police in our industry and also in modern times are getting a, a bad rap because of the people like the person that you have the experience with. Um, and, you know, to see someone take it into their own hands to say no. And especially back then, you know, you're a little bit older than me, not much, but to look at it back then without the use of social media and saying, no, that's not right. And that's not mm -hmm. how it should be. I want to, I want to join the force so I can make a change from the inside. I think that's really respectable. So I'd love to hear, you know, your journey into law enforcement. And then I, as I understand it, it was actually an injury that you sustained on the job that brought you into the world of cannabis. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, no, I appreciate that. And and really, for me, I was born and raised in the city of Detroit. Cannabis was just not a thing 
um, that anyone was concerned about, you know, and um, as you kind of alluded to, I was robbed at gunpoint um, in seventh grade for my winter jacket. And um, when the police officers responded, you know, they were, uh, they were pretty bad. I mean, they were definitely were not, they definitely did not make a, a 12 year old boy feel safe or validated or heard. And if anything, they bred just a mistrust and a dislike for law enforcement. So, um, you know, my, my family was, you know, very civic minded, always have been, still are, and I'm very blessed for that to be brought up in a household that really just thought of other people's other people first. And, you know, it was, okay, what are you going to do about it? You had a shitty experience. Okay. Suck it up. What are you going to do about it? And, and that's kind of what led me altruistic as it may be to, to say, okay, I'm going to change it. I'm going to go and I'm going to be a police officer and I'm going to make sure that I never, ever make a 12 year old child feel the way that I felt at that moment. And from that moment, from that point, which was, you know, December of my, you know, 12 years old, I was a police officer um, less than eight years later. Um, and it was the single focus of my life from that moment on to make sure that I did not make anyone feel as small as I felt in that moment. Yeah. Um, and, and really, you know, so we, there's some pushback, there's some conversation, you know, former law enforcement in the cannabis industry and stuff like that. And, and I can, I can understand that from a very basic level, but you know, we all get into different professions or hobbies or things that we're involved in for different reasons. And, and I was, I was never a guy that really gave, I mean, I certainly never cared about cannabis, but drugs were never a thing in Detroit. You know, we were chasing people that were doing violent crimes, you know, guns, you know, that kind of stuff. That was really, you know, the focus of what I did during my time there. And and I was very fortunate to work with some very excellent people. And, and you know, I didn't save the world, but I think I did some good work while I was there. And, you know, unfortunately, I, I got injured. Four surgeries later, you know, they said, you're going to be fine. Just take these pills, these Oxycontin pills for the rest of your life. And, uh, oh, yeah, by the way. Don't ever stop taking them and come see us every six months and we'll just up your dosage a little bit. So, and, and, and to think back how crazy it sounds, right? This is 13 years ago or something like that. This, this is pre dope sick, you know? Um, but it was, it was just the way it worked back then. And, and my wife and I, we try to, you know, we try to lead more towards the herbal, the natural route. And it was, we resisted, the opiates for as long as we could, but I could not manage my pain. Yeah. Otherwise yeah. I had no other, no other options. So I, I thought I'm just going to jump in here real quick. Cause this is the thing yeah. that is interesting to me. Like I completely understand the people in this industry, you know, law enforcement, especially people that were locking people up for cannabis and whether it was right or wrong. And especially the ones that used it as a tool to be able to lock up people that were less fortunate. But one of the things that our industry has the ability to do is prevent the problem that you just talked about, because that problem is prominent in law enforcement. It's prominent in sports. It, you know, obviously I, I hear similarities and stories to yours and, and my colleague Ricky's as well, just, mm -hmm. you know, two different arenas that opiates were forced on you and it was encouraged and recommended. Mm -hmm. and, and I've mm -hmm. even heard you talk about it, that you could show up to the job on opiates and, and no one's oh, yeah. like it, it's yep. encouraged. So our industry is the number one thing to help our former law enforcement and help our former military veterans. And the industry is highly supportive of it. So, you know, we don't need to get philosophical here, but we look at 
a police officer as a whole and we categorize them and we say, oh, they're bad, but they're not. There are plenty of bad ones out there and there are plenty of good ones like you that wanted to make sure that the bad ones didn't get to interact with the public. They weren't the ones that were out there making people feel comfortable. So I, I think, you know, and I'm, I like to see this industry turn on its end and say, hey, not only should you not arrest people for this because it's it's a great plant, but we're going to offer it to you and we're going to show you guys how you can use it in your treatment and make your life mm -hmm. better. And, you know, who even knows the, these addictions when, when you go down this addiction path and my wife is an addiction counselor. So I've, I haven't seen it, but I've heard the stories. Like I can only imagine that affects someone's day-to-day decision-making when they're on the job too. Mm -hmm. Well, and not to mention, you know, you talk about if it's not opiates, you know, maybe it's their push towards alcohol without giving that alternative choice. I mean, I think the way that just the world has looked at cannabis and and this demonization of this plant for decades has just done so much damage. But day by day, we're we're changing that, you know, and and we're fixing kind of the perception of the cannabis yeah. um, plant and and really the uses of it. I think ultimately, you know, it's it should be a, a non-starter. This is a a free country. In 39 states, there's some form of legalization when it comes to cannabis. Um, you know, I think 19 are adult use. The other thing, too, is I know in Michigan particularly, and I'm one of those people, there's a 39% reduction in opiate prescription um, in Michigan since cannabis has le been legalized medicinally in 2008. So if you think about it, four out of 10 people that otherwise would have been prescribed these highly addictive lifelong uh, pharmaceutical pills that presumably are sliding over into using cannabis for pain management. That alone is breathtaking because yeah. now you're talking about people who, you know, they don't have the side effects. They, you know, Oxycontin turned me into an asshole. I mean, it just did. I was not a good father. I was not a good husband. And the scary part, Todd, is I, I didn't see it. I thought I was fine. You know, I just thought I was cruising. So that for me was probably the scariest part because you don't if you don't see it in yourself, if you if I wasn't blessed enough to have someone who cared for me as much as my wife did, I don't know what I, I don't know where I'd be right now, but I wouldn't be in the position I am. And I certainly wouldn't be healed. You know, I certainly would not be healed. I would be medicated, but I wouldn't be healed. And cannabis has healed me. Yeah, dude, I, I, I've, I've heard the stories. I, you know, like I said, my wife has been in the business for a while. She's shared this with me and people think like, Oh, when you see an ad, like it's not a thing that happens overnight, you, you mm -hmm. use it and then you need more of it because it doesn't numb the pain as much. And then it affects you more and more. And maybe you have one bad day and then it's two bad days and then you're having a bad week. And that's when you have that slow descent into being the person that you don't want to be. And before you know it, you either have people that care about you that call you out for being the person that you are and not, or some people just walk away and they're like, I don't need that person in my life. And like you said, you're lucky that your wife was the former that she cared about you enough to say, Hey, you're going to fucking, I don't know if she got this far, but you're going to fucking lose us if you don't change your shit. Right. So, yeah. you know, I think that's incredible. And, and I agree with you. I think more and more people need to look at cannabis when it comes to solving this problem, because we have this problem in our country right now and i live in florida we're one of the rehab capitals of the country that we have such a bad addiction problem we're not doing anything different to treat it mm -hmm. it's not working the conversion rates are terrible 
And we're yeah. not saying there's got to, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. We are fucking insane at this point because we're yeah. doing the same thing and we're not getting a different result. So why not try cannabis? Why not? And, and I don't even say fight fire with fire, but when you look at it, if you even talk to the people in some of these rehab facilities and you get sent there for weed rehab, they laugh at you. They're like, what yeah. is that? You're, you're not an addict. You're fine. You'll be out of here soon. Right. So yeah. I'm all for, and you know what, if it doesn't work, fuck, we tried it, but I think the number is skewing towards it's, it should work. Yeah, no question. And Bob Saget has a great sketch on that uh weed and rehab too it's not appropriate for this but um i i definitely think that and I, and i think you know this is a whole segment of people that the medicine's here the access is now here what we need to do is destigmatize and we need to help those people that don't have any experience with cannabis or are afraid of cannabis or had the negative experience with their uncle's uh, uh brownie one day we need to help those people to come into the fold of just the right regulated cannabis industry where there's dosable options, there's smokable options, there's vapable options. And, and there's just a lot more for a consumer to undertake that makes the entry into cannabis way less intimidating than it ever has been. And it makes it easier to, you know, to transform people that otherwise would be pill people, you know, into pot people, so to speak. And I think it's great. I think, you know, it's not an addictive stuff substance for the most part. It's not truly harmful. And, and if you are going to harm yourself, it's going to take a, a, a shit ton of it to do it. And one of the things I love about what you're doing at cloud is, is that consumer education is right at the heart of what you're doing, but not just education on strains and terpenes, but really on products and use cases and everything else like that. So, you know, as someone who learned and said, Hey, this is what I did, you know, going back to the rehab equation, right? Someone like me, I, I I looked into opening up a rehab facility because I wanted to support my wife and I wanted to give her a platform to where she can truly help people. Cause down here in Florida, a lot of them are not the best and, and I don't need mm -hmm. to comment on that industry. I'm sure there's plenty of headlines there. So I wanted to open that up, but I also realized that some of these people would never listen to me because I never experienced what they experienced. I never went through mm -hmm. what they went through. And I believe that you not only do you have a company that is educating people, but the fact that you have a personal experience with it, that people will hold more weight on the things that you say because you do have a true real life example of how you were able to switch off of something that was recommended by a doctor and a pharmacist to something that had a stigma around it and your life significantly improved. Your family life is probably better and, and your business life seems to be flourishing as well. It's provided yeah, you a whole second life beyond law enforcement. Yeah, no question. And I mean, they say the proof is in the pudding. So I guess I would be the proof that it actually does work, you know, um, because ultimately, you know, we have built cloud um, basically off of our own personal experiences, which is why I think it's, you know, we've been successful as we have. It's a labor of love, but it's just a true passion of ours to spread the goodwill of cannabis. Didn't your partner have a similar experience at cloud? And wasn't he also, I think he was struggling with back pains or something along the line. I know his chiropractic problems. Yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a, there's a couple of us that have done it. You know, there's one guy that's actually gotten off alcohol um, because of it. you know, there's a guy that had back problems. I mean, you know, it's when I first kind of started cannabis as medicine 13 years ago, the stories like mine were kind of few and far between, you know, I mean, even myself, 
you know, there was a lot of whispers. There was a lot of backdoor conversations. And this is, you know, in a, in a, in a legal medicinal market, it was still kind of behind the scenes. Um, it, you know, so many people have a story, you know, and Ricky obviously is one. I'm one. There's millions of us that that have a very similar story. Um, and, and there's so many more people that would have the same story if given the option. I think of, you know, the person in Indiana that's suffering with chronic back pain that does not have a medicinal, let alone a recreational option yeah. for cannabis. That's, you know, I mean, that's bullshit. It just is because how come me just North of his border, I can have full access to adult use, marijuana, uh, medical cannabis, whatever I want. And him just one mile South has no access to a, a pain medication, which has saved my life and, and hundreds of thousands of others. So I think, you know, that, the, the dichotomy of have and have nots is certainly between it, it certainly relates to access in cannabis in this country, you know, and we're fortunate enough to be in Michigan where we're very mature and we, we definitely have. I'll give you a perfect example of that right now. Um, you know, and, and I don't mean to keep bringing this up, but it is something I experienced recently. So I recently had a friend pass of cancer. Um, he found out he had cancer on October 3rd and he lives in North Carolina. Um, and I actually had to look at the law as well as there, cause I didn't, all I knew is North Carolina was not on the immediate Heisman roadmap. So I knew that the laws were not very friendly towards cannabis, yep. but we were there and, and, and all cannabis forms are pretty much illegal in North Carolina, but he, you know, he'd been diagnosed with cancer and I had reached out to his wife and I, I talked to him about, or talked to her about RSO. Um, and I had seen in certain studies and, and I, I'll be honest, I discovered it from Rogan's experience. And then I dug into the research myself that heavy concentrations of THC have actually helped stall the growth and spread of tumors. Not only mm -hmm. that, but a heavy dose of THC would also significantly help with the pain that he was going through. And I remember, you know, I remember telling his wife about it and she was very open to it. Like you, she said, he's on, he's on a ton of painkillers. And I don't want him to be in pain, but I also don't love them pumping all that to his body, especially in his weakened state. So, yep. you know, unfortunately, I didn't get there on time. But that's something that I'd have to look at is, am I going to break the law to help my friend because he needs this medicine because it's going to make him better? And, you know, I think that's a decision that a lot of people today are making. And it's something that if I got caught, I would have been arrested. I don't know what would have happened to me. And I wouldn't have been able to give my friend the medicine that would have pro possibly, probably helped him. I'm not saying he would be still be here or would it have changed the course of what happened, but it was another way to at least try. So, you know, I, I feel you on that and not to bring down the tone of the show, but I feel you on that. And I feel for the people that don't have the access to it. And that's why I'm very happy for people like you that where they do have access to it, that there is a very big educational component to it. Now, to get off the kind of, you know, unfortunate sad news here, I'm interested to look at the markets or the clientele that you have that you are educating, right? Because I think the can of curious, I feel like they're easy. And, and I don't mean that in a negative way, but they have no experience with cannabis. So you can give them the initial education. You can tell them and they're going to listen to you. I'm sure they have a friend that might tell them one or two things. I think it's the people that's going to be an interesting category to educate are the people that use cannabis in college and they haven't used it in 10, 12 years. And they remember mm -hmm. what it was like and they used it to just get really high and chill with their friends and watch movies and laugh. And their memory of cannabis was 
being strung out on a couch laughing with their friends or, you know, being having slower cognitive function and things like that, because, you know, of whatever they're smoking, or they smoked as much as they possibly could. And I'm interested to see how that group starts to reattack cannabis, because they have a thought of what cannabis is in their head, that can be changed and can be altered. A lot of my friends tell me they can't do this or that with cannabis. And I joke that I've, I've put my 10,000 hours in, but also I've put my 10,000 hours in so other people don't have to. So I'm curious to hear your opinion on the different levels of educated consumer and how you approach those conversations to get someone who maybe had a bad experience with cannabis to reapproach it. Yeah. And I, I love that phrase, 10,000 hours. I'm, I like that. And we use that. Um, I think, I think it's just, it's, it, it really varies by almost age group. I mean, it's, you know, just to oversimplify it like that. I mean, we have a big contingent of blue hairs that are coming in that have never touched cannabis in their entire lives, but they're on so many pills that it's just not working for them. They're taking a pill to chase another pill. So they're looking for a more natural approach. I think those are more of your easier swing people because they don't know. And the biggest challenge, I guess, across the board for all of these people is getting them in the store. That's the biggest challenge. I think once you have someone to take the initiative to pursue cannabis um, by going to a store, it, it, it would be really hard not to get them to understand the benefits and not to get them on the right direction with dosage, et cetera. And I think that's the biggest thing. I mean, listen, I love to lay on the couch and watch movies and laugh. I mean, there's, there, you know, there's a big contingent for that. I, I sometimes 100%. I enjoy it. hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. I mean, sometimes I enjoy a little slower cognitive ability. I mean, it's, you know, there's to each their own, but, but I think the biggest thing is, is just speaking on dosage, speaking on, you know, taking baby steps when entering the cannabis. I mean, uh, you know, the nice thing is, is that at one point in time, everything, every edible was one big brownie at a hundred milligrams. You had no idea how it was actually spread about it. How, you oh, know, yeah. it just, you had no idea. So you could take one bite and get nothing. You take another bite, you're getting 70 milligrams or something like that. You get hit by a truck. If they didn't have a KitchenAid mixer there, you're going to have some opposite experiences. Exactly. Exactly. And listen, I burned flour trying to make brownies myself. So it's, you know, it's, it's not an exact science or it is an exact science, but I think now that everything's dosable, right. And pretty much individually dosed at 10 milligrams and or less in the state of Michigan it's very easy to tell someone, look, this incrementally, this is how you have to do it. And I think that's that's kind of the approach. And edibles seem to be the easiest kind of entryway for most of the new cannabis uh, consumers to kind of start their journey. But if you bring back that old user that hadn't used it in 20, 30 years, I think the nostalgia of the flower, just given the right information about it's not about getting really high, it's about really experiencing the whole flower effects of it. That's really the advantage. I think that really appeals to that consumer. So, you know, it's kind of across the board, but I would say it's it's really generational. You can almost segment it out by generations on how how to approach the right, you know, the consumer right. It, it's interesting because, you know, you talked about you like being couch locked and watching a funny movie. Don't get me wrong. I'm a massive, massive stand-up comedy fan and, and, and cannabis is a big complement to that experience. Mm. And it's funny yep. because I don't think that, the non-cannabis user can kind of segment out how to use it and, and how you can affect yourself in different ways. And I think that's what people are ignorant about. And I say ignorant is in the fact that they just haven't experienced it, right? Because I can tell you if I have a morning and I have a couple calls and you know I got a little bit of nerves, I can take a hit, maybe two hits. I'm not slower cognitive. My mind is just as 
speedy or as, as connecting as it needs to be, I can function. And it just takes that little bit of anxiety out of all the things that I have to do and making sure that I accomplish it. it. Maybe it doesn't even take it away. It just gives me the ability to not think about it and concentrate on the things that I have to do. Whereas I can take another strain at the end of the day and do the opposite to where I can smoke that. And it gives me the ability to shut off everything that I thought about that day and focus on what's in front of me, whether it's the hilarious movie or, or comic that I'm about to watch, or whether it's being at Disney world with my family or playing with my kids, or even just sitting on the couch with my wife. And it's amazing to me that the same product in two different strains or vintages or whatever you want to compare it to can mm -hmm. have those two different effects. And I think when people start to experience that or have that level of education, it's going to change the game for them because they're going to know this is my social cannabis. This is my party cannabis. This is my at-home cannabis. This is my, um, you know, going to the comedy club cannabis. And they would know the scenario of which strain that they, they want to consume. And I think that's what I'd love to, to see people do, right? And I think that's a completely different game changer when we get there because you can have all these different effects and you're not going to have someone just, just like we talked about the police earlier. Like when you say police, you're talking about more than one thing. You're not talking about one guy who's been cloned a bazillion times. You're talking about a very large eclectic group of people that chose a similar profession. Same with cannabis. Yep. And I don't see mm -hmm. really any other products out there that are this distinct. Like if we look at booze, right? I, I don't know. Can you, if you can compare it to the booze blanket? Yeah. I guess you have different effects on tequila and gin and bourbon, but like there's not one bourbon that's going to make you this drunk and one bourbon that's going to make you that drunk. Chances are, if you drink the same amount of each burger and you're probably going to fight somebody at the end of the night, I don't know. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think kind of what you're describing with just kind of the understanding dosage and, and understanding the right usage of the plan is, is what we talk about at cloud. We always talk about live higher. And it's not about being high, right? It's about living the highest version of whatever you are, right? So if it's living it's the highest version of a person who's got, you know, treating anxiety or living the highest version of you for your meeting or your presentation or maybe for your movie or comics uh, show. I mean, it's really just using cannabis as an, ex an accessory to, you know, to help you enjoy life you know, more productively. And, yeah. and I'm an, you know, I'm an all day cannabis user. I'm not ashamed of, very proud of it. And I can do so. And I'm not, I'm not on a couch all day long. I'm actually out there, you know, relatively productive trying to get things done. I mean, we've, we started a, a very large single state operator while consuming cannabis and, and we've, you know, it's all about using uh, responsibly and also understanding the plan and the way, the way it works for you in order to optimize your ability to be successful. And this will be, I just realized on one of that last rant, I had the camera focused on you. We were so into the conversation. I stopped producing. Um, the reason <laughs> that you can be an all day smoker and I'm going to, I'm going to expose your secret here. And this will be the greatest transition in the history of the show is you're, you're on PEDs and, and I'm going to tell everybody <laughs> when I say PEDs, it's because you have one of the best strains for daytime motivation and thoughts and everything else in your partnership with wonder brett and the pink picasso so yes. i can tell you that is one of the strains that is a daytime strain for me it makes me extremely productive it makes me ultra creative um yeah. and it's something that i can consume all day so i understand that you have the peds you're, you're hoarding them to yourself right now i'm joking <laughs> but it is a great partnership that you've brought into the state of michigan through cloud cannabis in in wonder brett and i will expose to the world right now that you have that 
awesome hat on that is a great collab between wonder brett and cloud cannabis and i think it is cool as crap yeah no and i appreciate you pointing that out and i think listen i mean you're you're in new york florida wherever you're at wonder brett is a becoming a a nationally recognized brand right that people are familiar with and you're absolutely right the pink picasso that is my daytime uh, uh smoke it just is and it's so nice that in this this wild world of cannabis where you have millions and millions of uh, new products coming on the market. It feels like almost daily that you and I, two individuals can connect over the affinity for the way one particular strain of a plant affects us. And I think that just speaks volumes to it. I mean, Wonder Brett, we've been very fortunate to have the partnership with them and it's not a licensing agreement. It's a true partnership. They're here in Michigan growing their genetics that they've been growing in California for decades. Um, you know, we had them here. We didn't release a single flower under the Wonder Bread brand until it was an actual Wonder Bread genetic strain that came to market. So, you know, we think that type of um, predictability, that level of kind of um, craftsmanship is, is very uh, needed in the market. And we've been very fortunate to have a great partner in Wonder Bread, uh, you know, to bring just grade A flower to Michigan um and and we continue to look for people that match our culture and match our hustle uh like they do to really introduce new things to michigan to to turn us on to all the great things that are happening in the rest of the country no i think it's incredible and i love the the business side of it too because you know and, and don't get me wrong I, I haven't even asked you this but i'd love to explore you know if you guys have in-house brands and everything else like that but as i understand the business and you establish yourself and i think i heard this in another interview as a premier retailer, right? And and I imagine you being a patient yourself and, and a daily user, you have the ability to curate a very nice menu of products um, from all of the great providers across the state of Michigan because your state is not, I got to watch the words I say, your state's not a bunch of fucking morons like my state in the state mm. of Florida that force vertical integration. That, right. you know, that, that, and listen, we talk shit about True Leaf all the time, but you open up 140 stores and figure out how you cultivate in a single state to be able to provide a phenomenal products to all of those 140 stores across the state. It's just not feasible right off the bat, right? So I don't love what they did, but you have this ability to curate this. And I think I just use it as an excuse to talk shit about Florida, but um, <laughs> You, uh, you know, you, you have this ability to curate a phenomenal menu. And now not only when you bring a house brand in and you bring this partnership in, cause like you said, it's not just a licensing deal. You have people there that are, have, have the genetics and they know the, the processes and they're part of your organization that not only are you able to put out a great house brand, but you're able to support and bring in one of the best brands in the state of California, which is known for its cannabis lineages and its genetics and its, its processes. So I, I can only imagine that when you guys did that partnership, you're like, hey, we've got something here. We're going to dominate this freaking state. Well, and and I think for us, you know, what we knew is, is we we were good at retail, right? We're good at finding really good retail assets and turning them on. We're, we're good operators. But what we knew is we weren't cultivators. I mean, I was a caregiver, but I was never really that great of a, a grower myself. Um, you know, and certainly to do it on the scale in which we're doing it now with 70,000 square feet. Um, we knew we needed the best. So, you know, we undertook just kind of a vetting process to re really find the right fit for us. And, and Wonder Bread hit all of our buckets, no problem. And it's, like I said, it's been a blessing, but it's about bringing diversity to market, bringing options to market. And at the end of the day, it's, it's 
right? It's a consumer facing business. So we want to make sure that we're providing the best brands for all the consumers and, and cannabis loves the hottest, newest thing. But at the end of the day is, is you put something in a bag, somebody might buy it one time because of the name on the bag or because it's got a cool design or something like that. But a true smoker is never going to buy it a second time if it's not fire. Very you know what I mean? So I think the the nice thing is is we can stand behind Wonder Bread. I know it's I know it's fire across the board. Um, I know from seed to sale what it goes through. So I have no qualms about that. But also really partnering with the other people that have similar brands because you know cannabis people they know cannabis right. So if you give them something and you say it's fire and it's not, they're they're never going to believe you again. So you always got to protect that reputation, you know. It, it's funny, and you know, I don't mean to reveal too much of my secret sauce on the show, and I'm, I'm saying that as a warning to my colleagues, is that, you know, it's funny when we look at business partnerships and I talk to people, I say, hey, Heisman is the first one to come forward and say, we're a curated experience. Ricky comes in, he finds cultivators that he likes, he finds what they put out, and he brings them in under the Heisman name. Um, I tell people all the time, I go, listen, we have an amazing brand that will get people to open the bag. And what I'm looking for is somebody who's passionate enough, someone who follows our morals and our values and puts out a product that we believe is good enough to get them to open that bag a second time. And that's what we're looking for. Mm -hmm. You know, that complete brand partnership where we know that we have this community of people that believe in the mission that we're doing, that want to spark greatness. And we're looking for cultivators and partners that believe in it too. And we'll provide an amazing product that, that will get someone to open it a second time. Now we're going to work towards genetics and everything else in that manner, because we want to make sure that we are truly curating the experience to Ricky and the people that he brings into the organization, the future athletes. But that's what it is. Like you said, you, you couldn't have said it better. A true can, they'll give you, they'll give you that first shot. And then if they don't, they're not going to buy it again. Or sometimes there's a company I love out in California. Um, I got their product at Hall of Flowers called Blem. Amazing product, B-L-E-M, amazing product. But it also costs like $85 an eighth pre-tax. So I got it for free and I'll never buy it again because it is too damn expensive. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and I think Heisman's done a good job. I mean, here's the thing. If you look at particularly so celebrity brands, you know, that's kind of like been a hot button subject in the industry because there are celebrities that will just slap a name or just say, Hey, here's go ahead, put my name on anything. Well, I know Heisman's not like that. You know, I mean, I know Heisman's looking for, you know, that repeat customer and, and ultimately it comes down to the sell through, you know, you come to my store, you sign a couple autographs and, and we make an initial order and then never hear from me again. And it's not good flower who wins in that scenario. Nobody, you know what I mean? And no you, you breed a little mistrust with your consumer too, um, because the consumer will be like, ah, you know, I'm not, kind of fall for that kind of bait and switch again so i think that's why it's very imperative for brands um that are launching both in michigan but just across the board that listen you know you wouldn't sell food just because it's edible you sell food because it tastes good right yeah it's the same thing with flour you just don't sell flour because it's flour i mean you got to sell it because it, it it's good it's got a good turf profile it tastes good you like the effects of it you know you like the smell of it all that kind of stuff all of those things have to be true and right for it really to be a good curated experience is kind of what you're referring to and what you guys are bringing up with Heisman. So we've been talking here for like 45 minutes already. I didn't even believe it. we're coming up on three o'clock and I know I'll you booked through that. So I just kind of want to finish on this last topic here and then we can let you go. Definitely have to do this again, man. This is, this has been great. And I can probably talk to you for another couple hours. Um, yeah, same. 
the we talked about the kind of curious it talks about the people who had bad experience back in the day well the the current crop of cannabis consumers has a little bit of an issue and that issue is with thc percentages right and you mm-hmm. and i talked about this and now i do believe there is a minimum barrier to entry from a pricing standpoint and from a thc standpoint we're starting to see it in california around like 20 24 25 like you got to kind of be up there stores won't really carry you too much under 710 labs is maybe an exception they've got some great stuff at 16 17 but how do we how do we start looking at those people and educate them away from THC percent? If you can say like, listen, there's a floor that you might need to hit, but your experience on a 28% flower might actually be better than a 35% flower. And here's why, because it has more terpenes in it, right? The, the terpene level is higher. So it's got better flavor. It's got a better experience. Mm-hmm. It's because, Hey man, this is 46%, but it is mercy and heavy. And based on what you've told me, and this is something I'm, I, I meant to mention earlier, if you're new to cannabis, journal journal your experience with different strains because that's going to be the easiest way for you to figure out what you like write down the strain you're smoking write down if you liked it or not what you liked about it then go look it up on leafly and figure out the terpenes i think i might be giving away your pro your 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 solution here but how do we educate them away from coming in and just saying what's the highest percent you got and i'm gonna buy that like don't get me wrong some people make a whole marketing campaign out of that but i think for the future of the industry like Alcohol doesn't push you towards moonshine. They pu- push you towards right. whatever George Clooney's pushing. I'm kidding. But they push you towards whatever yeah. <laughs> is the tastiest, right? Alcohol is about yeah. flavor because a bad alcohol tastes like jet fuel, but a good alcohol yeah. has a taste to it. It doesn't matter the alcohol content. So how do we get cannabis to that same arena? Yeah, and I think, I mean, I think you described it very well. It, the, the THC chaser is always going to be in market and that's fine. There's a place for them and people will always be pushing for high THC counts. But I think for, you know, the full cannabis experience, it's a dance between the THC and certainly the Terps. We lean really hard in pushing just information on Terps and, and Leafly does a really, really good job with information. I mean, I think they're probably the gold standard when it comes to giving information about plants and flowers and 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 that's it's huge because ultimately at the end of the day, we see in Michigan we're starting to see a consumer that wants to see that sub fifteen percent THC. I mean we're seeing a consumer that wants to be around the ten to twelve percentage uh, point, which is you know kind of counterproductive to what most people think when they're yeah. growing. But there are people that are trying to look at it as like a baby step because at the end of the day, a gummy buyer they don't care if it's you know, whether it tastes good or not, they're getting hundred milligrams for their six bucks or something like that. I mean, that, that's fine. It's the guy that's really smoking the flowers where this is the conversation. And, and, and we push hard on that. It's all about Terps, 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 you know, because my, you know, uh, listen, the, the pink Picasso that I smoked this morning was a 19%, you know, but it had a awesome. 2.1% Terp profile. It was phenomenal. You know, it was absolutely phenomenal. And it and it it did exactly what it intended to do. So my melon OG tonight, which is at 29%, is gonna be a little bit different experience. But there you go, right? I understand what I'm getting myself up to, and the ebbs and flows of the cannabis work accordingly. Um, but you know, I mean, I think just a straight THC buyer is probably one of our biggest obstacles to overcome as an industry. And it's on us, right? It's on us to communicate better to the industry, you know, to the consumer that it's not all about this, right? And what they don't know, they don't know. So we have to kind of lead that charge. I couldn't agree with you more, man. I love it. And and that's a conversation I have with people tone blue in the face. I love talking to people about that education because that's what I spent my time doing to help people have a better experience with cannabis. Even friends that are cannabis users, I try to help them have a better 
cannabis experience. So all friends down here will be like, Hey, I went to this store. I'm like, don't go there, go here. This is what you do. And here's, and then I tell them why and we'll go into Leafly and all that stuff. So um, last question is Detroit style pizza really better than New York? Oh, I got so much better, man. <laughs> and then listen, I'm a, I, listen, I'm telling you, and I'm a pizza guy. I am a pizza guy. It's different, but I think it's so much better. I think it's, I, I, I don't even think it's, there's a close, I don't think it's even close. Well, I really I, don't. You just, you just unvalidated every opinion you've had on this show for me today. <laughs> uh, no, well, I listen, you. I will give you. I come the, for our pizza. The argument is no longer. Love you, Chicago. I love everything about you. You have some of the, the best food I've ever had. What you guys put out there is not a fucking pizza. It is a different shaped calzone. I don't know what you want to call it. The <laughs> it's argument a, to it's me, a casserole, damn near. Exactly. It's a pie. It is a literal pie. <laughs> yeah. The argument to me yeah. is New York versus Detroit style. I don't know how Chicago got in there. They snuck in somehow. Yeah. Maybe they had a great PR campaign. Who knows? But it is New York. Yeah. But I do like Detroit pizza. I'm a New York guy, but I like Detroit pizza, man. And I really do hope to get the opportunity to come up see your store, try your products and share some pizza with you. Yeah, please do. And you know, that's ironically, so the doctor, my good friend who led me to cannabis, his family's from New York and we have this conversation all the time. And he says, it's the water. He says, it's the water that they use when they make the dough that separates the New York pizza from the Detroit pizza. I don't know if that's true or not, but um, I welcome you to come here, man. We got great cannabis, great pizza and just great people. You know, I think you'd really enjoy your time here. I believe it. And I definitely will. Listen, before I let you go, any any websites, any social media you want to throw out there and promote? Yeah, so, yeah, I mean, you could check us out at cloudcannabis.com. We're on all the socials. Um, check out our website, our menu. You know, I mean, we're a very large single-state operator in Michigan ready to serve you. But, um, you know, let's just speak truth to the plant. Let's lift each other up and, you know, let's live higher. Awesome, man. John, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks, Ty. I appreciate it, man. All right. Thank you to everybody at home. This has been another episode of Elevate Your Grind. Uh, this is not going to air before our next event, so I won't promote it. But definitely check out jointclab.com for all the upcoming events and everything else that we have going on. If you missed today's episode or any you want to see any of the other 200 episodes that we've done, you can check that out at youtube.com slash elevateyourgrind. And if you're not someone who wants to look at my face while you're listening to this conversation, please check us out wherever you get your podcasts. Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher. I think you're only going to Spotify and Apple Podcasts at this point, people. But just Google or just search us at Elevate Your Grind. 200 episodes, some of the top names in the industry. Go learn something, folks. Uh, that's it for this week. We'll be back next week. It's been Elevate Your Grind. We're out.